Unlocking Ancient Wisdom and Embodying Intelligence. This is an interview with Charlie Saville. Dive into a riveting conversation with Charlie, a leading voice in the realm of ancient knowledge and modern science. In this interview, we explore the secrets to tapping into our innate embodied intelligence, how to harness our feelings to overcome obstacles, and ways to truly connect with our authentic selves. Join us on this enlightening journey to discover how you can unlock your potential and be the best version of yourself. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe for more inspiring content. Welcome to the Wellness Driven Life Show, where you're about to go on a wellness-driven ride. Welcome to Candy Apple Advocacy, the podcast for parents who want to advocate for their children's education. I'm Jim Mallard, and I'm here with my wife, Tabby. We've been through the trenches of raising kids in the school system and know how tough it can be, but we also know how essential it is to advocate for your child and their education. That's why we started this podcast, to share our experiences and insights with other parents to help them become more effective advocates for their children. On this podcast, we'll talk about everything from general education, general school advice, the school choices you have available to you, different education styles, individualized education plans, 504s, and all those key terms that you've heard but don't know what they are. We'll talk to experts. We'll also talk to parents and hear their stories. We'll share our stories with you and give you tools you need to be a strong advocate for your child and yourself. Whether you're a new parent, or have been in the game for a while, we invite you to join our community. Let's advocate together. Let me tell you a little bit about our guest today. Charlie Saville, forced by illness to explore beyond conventional medicine in his late 20s, embarked on a lifelong journey of wellness exploration. Guided by various teachers and experiences, he focused on tapping into the intrinsic intelligence within us all. Years of research led him to understand the expansive reach of subconscious intelligence accessed via emotions. As the founder of Embodied Intelligence, an author and a speaker, Charlie now helps people worldwide connect with their feelings to reveal their best selves. Please help me welcome Charlie. Hi, Charlie. April, hi. Thank you for that lovely uh, opening, that lovely uh, introduction. And uh, I was thinking earlier today about what it is I love about your show. And in fact, I I felt that there were three great qualities, your inclusivity uh, and your energy and your big heart. So it's a great pleasure to be part of that today. Oh, thank you, Charlie. That is a wonderful wonderful feedback those three things and it really truly shows exactly who you are and really diving deeper into our innateness our feelings what we're made up of as human beings and being able to utilize that information and that knowledge to live our best selves so i'm so excited to dive deep into this conversation today And thank you so much for being here. Let's start off by sharing a little bit about you. Let the audience know more of your background story. Thank you. So I think I'd like to start uh, when I was uh, six years old and I'm living in Warwickshire in in England uh, with my two older sisters and uh, my mom and dad. And all is good in the world. Uh, My dad is very successful, a a linguist who speaks uh, seven languages fluently, a very dynamic and charismatic man. And then out of the blue, suddenly, uh, he suffers a a near fatal stroke, a catastrophic Mm. stroke, 
and that leaves his whole right side uh, um, paralyzed, and he was right-handed. Uh, and also he lost 80% of his speech. Now, obviously, that was uh, an extraordinarily difficult and challenging thing for my dad to go through. But like all these things, it was also that kind of pebble dropped onto the onto the water and the ripples going out. It, it uh, had a, a big effect on the rest of the family. Mm. Um, and following that, uh, in fact, I, I was sort of sent off to boarding school and then um, my parents separated. And I, I think that sort of left me with pros and cons uh on the on the on the challenging side i think i was uh i became very shut down emotionally and the reason for that was that although my mum was brilliant at keeping everything running functionally she was uh her habit was to sweep the emotions under the carpet and my reaction to that as a six-year-old boy was just to shut down completely in terms of what i could feel shut my heart down I became quite, I think, cynical of the world and, and questioning whether this uh, things in the world were as they seemed, because after all, life from my child's uh, viewpoint had let me down. And, but perhaps on the positive side as well, I, I had this very strong urge to go out and make a life that was different, make a life mm -hmm. that suited me, that I wasn't perhaps dependent on others. Um, and also, I think um, it made me very questioning. So I, 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 I went perhaps sometimes too much poking around at the status quo to see, well, how does this work? Is this in fact the right way? Is this the best way? And then um, really 20 years later was the next sort of big moment when I decided to go on holiday with a friend in, in Africa. And uh, unbeknown to me, I drank some water, which was contaminated by uh, Helicobacter pylori, which is a very, very um, mm. destructive uh, parasite if it goes undetected. And it did go undetected in me for probably a couple of years, wreaking havoc with my mm. uh, digestion. Mm. And the long to the short was that as I became very, very ill. I mean, I think there was one point where I was able to work one week in five, I just had so little energy. Um, and naturally, of course, I tried first conventional medicine. I, I just sought every possible opinion I could, but no one seemed to be able to help me. So I then went on and looked at um, alternative medicine. And my, my, watch, my motto, if you like, was anything goes so long as it makes a difference. So I tried everything from homeopathy, kinesiology. I just, if you can think it, I probably tried it out over a period of time. Um, and, and gradually um, things sort of improved. But on that pathway, I had a, 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 an introduction to a lady called Vivian Kay, who is a healer. And I remember it, although it was many years ago now, I remember it like it was yesterday i i went into this healer's room it was very pink um i lay on her healing bed her sort of massage bed and she put her hands on me and i i closed my eyes i felt this incredible heat coming from her hands and then i had this uh this image a super strong image in my mind it was like i i was on a pathway in front of the pathway was this tall wall and the wall came tumbling down and there in front of me was this path that I had been looking for. So it was like I had found the direction of travel I wanted to. I didn't know where it would lead, but at least I knew I was on the path and there was something here for me. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it was. A, it that, was a no, brilliant. that's a beautiful vision. My gosh, where, yeah. you know, that's that's a vision that. I would love to have and probably many people where it's this feeling and sense of relief where the doors yeah. are opening the light is, is you, you here. have it, it the word relief is absolutely right i, I yeah. felt this huge kind of weight off my shoulders that 
even if I didn't know my destination, at least if I knew the path and the direction of travel. Yeah. Um, and Vivian was a, a really interesting lady. And she, you know, she introduced me to uh, meditation, which I carried with me for the, for the rest of my life, very much to this day. It's an intrinsic part of my kind of practice. But we also did some fun things. She organized some weird and wonderful tours around the world. So we went to Egypt where um, we went into the uh, pyramids. I, I lay in the sarcophagus, the old uh, um, coffins, the stone coffins of the, um, uh, of the pharaohs and felt the energy. I mean, I really could pick up the energy there. Wow. Um, what was yeah. that like? I have to know. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, uh, uh, it was very wary. And it, funny enough, each sarcophagus, I mean, some people were very speed by this. I wasn't. I was just up for trying anything. But um, each one felt slightly different, which is interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then we went to uh, Peru and uh, we went to uh, the Amazon where I took ayahuasca and had an, really, this was a long time before that became kind of popular um, and had an extraordinary adventure with that. Um, and I think actually there was a moment there. So there's a, I think it's called an ario. So when the when the um, the uh, I can't remember the, the sort of the, the medicine men basically who administer the ayahuasca when they give it to you, they have these songs called arios, and they sing in the energy. So it's mm. like you're, wow. you're, you've had the medicine, and then it washes in, and you you carried away on this amazing trance but unlike most trances you can you can steer it as you go along um so you can take it in the direction you want to, to travel uh so that was an incredible experience in the depths of the amazon well and now we i went... feel like i, I and, and charlie i have to stop you at some points because you're you're taking me on a ride here and it's fascinating <laughs> And I feel, Kai, I'm so blessed to be able to listen to you share these stories because I didn't even know about the description that you talked about with the music and being able to yeah, push yeah. the music into yeah. those energy fields because they're they're on the same frequency. And that is yeah, just fascinating yeah, yeah. to me. And, and so... Yeah, so okay. I was just going to say, I think it's about harmony. So the thing is that these people are so in tune with their mm. environment so in tune with the plants and the jungle and that's why you get this response so yeah i mean i think you know it has a, a functional importance which is to illustrate just how incredibly in tune they are with the world and how you know we've kind of lost a lot of that art yeah well absolutely because we're not living in that environment our the the environment around us is completely different and it's not a lot for most of us it is not with nature with mother earth and so yeah we're very out of sync with it now charlie as i listen to you describe these places that you were visiting it, it almost sounds to me and tell me if i'm wrong but you're visiting some really vital points around the globe that are probably more high and um in energy so to speak i mean was that the point was that why yes, you that was, that was, that was, yeah that was precisely the point and there was a a beautiful third stop which i did which was in machu picchu in peru and um so we're, we're there at midnight which also is incredibly special because we're the only people who are there so there's, there's our little group of 12 people and we take san pedro which is the kind of local equivalent to ayahuasca and we're all lying individually on these huge ceremonial stones, uh, staring up, lying and staring up at the, at the stars. And this is this incredible light show going on, these blimps of light. Um, and then Vivian, the, the, the team leader, suddenly falls asleep and she starts snoring. So we have this, this very quirky sort of uh, <laughs> celestial view on one hand and this very earthy snoring in the background. That's so funny. <laughs> Oh my yes, goodness. Very much about the energy of the place. Wow. It makes me think of, uh, I, I really enjoy Diana Gabaldon's work. Uh, now I'm going to forget the name of her series, the Outlander series, but yeah. so much of it is, is the time travel, uh, because you're in those very powerful energy field. Um, and it just, it's, it's, 
fictionist, but it just took me to those places and those stories of those certain points, those access points to, you know, other dimensions, other realms, other experiences that we wouldn't otherwise have. Yes, absolutely. And um, I think that leads to a kind of an interesting point. But so on what I found was on this journey that there were lots of um, little moments like those, and I call them cosmic carrots. So they're, oh, they're effectively, I think, the universe saying, you know, you're on the right path, continue this way. Um, I, I remember there was a friend of mine who was learning shiatsu, and uh, I was agreed to be her human guinea pig as she started out, and she did a session on me, and it just opened up something in me, and for maybe four hours afterwards, I was filled with this peaceful bliss, this incredible, I mean, euphoric state. Um, but of course, like all these experiences, Machu Picchu or the Amazon, they're quite, they're fleeting. They come and they go and you have no control of them. So they, they give mm. you this tempting, this, this tempting view of what's possible, what's out there. Yeah. Um, but of course, they can prove quite elusive afterwards. So I was I was determined to see if there was some way I could maybe bring them a little bit more into my control. Yes, that makes perfect sense. So Charlie, I'm going to walk back through here because you have some fascinating stories. So really, you you know, you explained to us that you really shut down as a child, as I know many of us do. We just we push the emotions away because we associate it with pain and fear and sadness. And so when we do that, you know, until there's something that shakes up our world and we have to address something and oftentimes it's physically right. Or it's some major emotional upheaval, which eventually leads to some sort of physical ailment because that's how our bodies work, as you well know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so when we're shooken up, it forces us to search, you know, in this manic sort of way for some sort of answers. Yeah, and yeah. through that, as you are searching for anything that would help, you know, relieve the 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 ailments that you were experiencing, you found this energy work that had such a profound experience on you that you wanted to learn more. You're like, whoa, I don't know what that was, but I want to know more about it. And so you go on this journey and this search and wow, oh my gosh, you were able to travel globally to to experience more and learn more. And I love how you describe that these are fleeting moments. Like you get the experience and then they go away. So how do we kind of tap into that more on a, on a consistent basis, whether it's via meditation or what were some of the things? And so we're going to go into our first commercial and I'm excited to jump into more about just that. Stay tuned. Kim Jacobs Consulting. Dot com. You know, people say opportunity knocks on every door. Right. No. Opportunity stands by silently waiting for you to recognize it. So I want you to recognize that this is a time for you. This is an incredible time to have your own talk show. It establishes a level of credibility. Yes. And by being exposed to people on a regular basis, it allows you to strategically begin to impact and attract your audience. She can take you in a place in yourself that you can't go by yourself. So go to KimJacobsConsulting.com. That's KimJacobsConsulting.com. Did I say KimJacobsConsulting.com? Yes, you did. Very good. Make sure you go there and sign up for the coaching. And we're looking forward to working with you. You have something special. You have greatness within you. Our lives were never the same after we learned our 21-year-old daughter, Kristen, was murdered by her ex-boyfriend. It's a parent's worst nightmare. How much did we really know about domestic violence back then? Clearly not enough. Now we know plenty. We know domestic violence, or DV, can happen to anyone. One in three women 
suffer physical violence at the hands of intimate partners during their lifetimes. One in three. I'm Bill Mitchell, host of the When Dating Hurts podcast. And my interviews with DV counselors, law enforcement, and especially actual DV survivors give the pandemic of domestic violence the attention it deserves. The When Dating Hurts podcast. It's a series of lives being saved. So, Charlie, coming back to you, you've gone on this fascinating journey, uh, many of them, which I've, I'm, a, I'm a little jellyfish and I'm excited to learn more and live vicariously through your experiences. <laughs> so, Tell me what was next? You realize that these moments are sort of fleeting and how can you, you know, tap into those experiences and share it with the world? Cause I know that's what you're doing. You've written a number of books and to, to let other people know that, you know, this is some incredible stuff that we should know about. Uh, yes. Yeah, so I think um, there was another crisis in my life. And that was what gave me uh, at least an answer to your question. Um, so I was I was hit by this uh, freight train, and metaphorically, um, okay. I was like, me, "My goodness!" And what troubled me most about that was that I didn't see it coming. And mm, yeah, you know, when I thought about that, I, I really thought, "Well, here I am relying on my intellect." But what good is that intellect if I can't see my own blind spots? Mm. And yeah. luckily for me, blessed as I am, life came along and gave me a helping hand. And my uh, wife was, in fact, given um, a, a book by uh, a French philosopher called Alain Forget. And his book's called How to Get Out of This World Alive. Um, she didn't, in fact, read it, but she left it around the house. Um, a great title. Caught, the title caught my, you know, it winked yeah. at me. And I picked it up and I read it. And I got about a third of the way through and I hit this paragraph and I just, I couldn't make sense of this, which is, in fact, I, I haven't really thought about this before. It was quite ironic as I was relying on my intellect. Um, and I must have spent an hour and a half on this paragraph. I still couldn't make sense of it. And then um, a chance would happen to, to, uh, to be my wife got an invitation to see Alan uh, speak in London wow. and uh, uh, invited me to come along with her and I was I, I said, well, I'm not sure I want to come but the thing that made me go actually was I wanted to find out who it was who was writing these paragraphs that I couldn't make any sense of <laughs> so I went along and he gave a talk and then uh, at the end of the talk he effectively went into a, uh, a meditative state where he quite clearly harnessed the energy for the benefit of the audience. And mm. I experienced that very viscerally as a, a, I would say, a white fog that filled the entire room. Mm. And so I recognized from where I'd been that this was something of what I was looking for and what we've just been discussing. Here was someone who was quite clearly able to create and control uh, the moment mm. where the energy could arise rather mm. than it just being a spontaneous event. So I kind of hooked up with uh, Alain and we became really good friends. Um, and in, in fact, to, to, to finish on the story of the book, um, in, in return for all the amazing time that he gave me, uh, I helped him with his English translation because the book that I had was his original version was French. Uh, the book I read was the English translation. And we went through the book. And when we came to that paragraph, there was actually a, a mistake in it and no one had spotted it. So it just shows, of course, what the intellect can miss. Yeah. Um, but we, we spent a lot of time together and there were, there were many lessons. But I think one of the most um, informative was that he effectively worked in groups, usually two to five people. And the idea, is, as the sages have been telling us for thousands of years, was to know yourself. So he would help people to see uh, what in them was 
dysfunctional, did not work, did not serve their lives. And he did that a lot through dream work. So he'd go through each person in the group while the others kind of watched, which had an interesting dynamic of a kind of increasing the pressure to, to get to the, the crucial, the crux of the issue. And the fascinating thing was that without exception, every single person, very much including myself, our, the intellect would always try and block us from seeing the truth. It would lie, it would throw diversions out, it would be rendered completely stupid, and literally your minds would go blank of even the most intelligent people who were there. Yeah. So there I was, you know, I'd come to this on a quest to see why my intellect let me down. And here I was witnessing exactly in, 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 in live action the intellect and all its faults. Of course, I, I've since done a lot of research. People like Rolf Tabelli, who wrote this, I think there's 99 different uh, ways that the intellect has biases and heuristics. And, uh, you know, it, it's just, it's our intellect is not, it's a faulty bit of kit. Mm. It, it wasn't designed, though, to, to work alone. We are, we are creatures of nature. Yeah, there's like more parts. Yeah, rather like the medicine man who realizes that he he must act in harmony, live in harmony. Our brains are supposed to live in harmony mm. with our hearts and with our guts. Yeah. And and because we've kind of forgotten that, our our intellects have lost the way. I mean, you only need to look at the planet, the state of the planet, to see that intellect living is is not good. It's not good for us individually. We feel mm. often disconnected. Uh, it's not good for the planet. Um, yeah. So we need to uh, try and connect more with our hearts and, and more with our guts. Yeah. I really like that you bring in the, the gut aspect too, because, you know, now we know through science that, you know, each of the chakra systems have their own individual brains, so to speak, you know, they're their own intelligence throughout our bodies, which is really fascinating. And, you know, so that's why sometimes, you know, people talk about how, you know, the gut is its own mind and it's, it's, it's because it is its own system, so to speak. Yeah. And yeah. so it's very, it's very powerful and something that we ought to tune into. And so what does it mean to you, Charlie, when you describe the, the gut? Is that where the feelings come in? Well, okay, so I think um, the, the, the gut and the heart are both brains. They both have effectively brain cells in them. Uh, the gut's probably a bit bigger. That's about the size of a, a cat's brain. Um, the heart is a bit smaller, but the heart can uh, tune into a much wider energy range mm -hmm. than the brain can. So the, the, brain, the heart is much more powerful in terms of feeling uh, the mm -hmm. brain cannot pick up those kind of ranges that the heart can. Um, so it means, I think it means um, two things. Firstly, you can talk directly to the heart and to the brain and to the gut and, and also to the brain. You can, you can ask yourself, what do I think of this intellectually? What, I, what can I think of it at the heart level? What can I think of it at the gut level? And you will get three different answers because they want different things. The key is to spot where one of them is saying no and the other two perhaps are saying yes or one is saying yes and uh, and the other two are no. What okay, so you need to make sure somebody's out voting. Well, no, what you want to make sure is that they're, they are all, they're all in it together because if you get one that says no, then part of you is going to hold okay. back. Okay, okay. So what you want Thank is you. all uh, three to be either saying no or all three to be saying yes. Um, and... Quite often, uh, you just need to find out what it is the gut wants that it hasn't, that it doesn't feel it's got. So usually, it's just a matter of a, a resolution, finding oh, I'll do this so long as I feel safe or whatever, and you can find out what you need to find that that, that makes the gut feel safe. So you can yeah. you can navigate that, but sometimes it's just like the the head's going, yeah, this is great because let's say oh, it means make lots of money, but the heart goes, nope. This is just not right for you. And right. in that case, you, I think the heart's the one to follow rather than mm. the intellect. Um, mm. But I think there's a, a another thing, which is that the whole body itself 
uh, is a sounding board for our feelings. So our feelings can appear anywhere and we can interact with them. I think feelings are particularly misunderstood and perhaps a little story here. If I had a, a moment where uh, something a little bit while after I met Alain, uh, something triggered a, a really visceral and deep sense of loneliness in me. I mean, it, it wasn't real, it was a projection, but it felt super real at the time. So I had this really visceral uh, sense of loneliness. And I think because of working with Alain, rather than repress it or suppress it or express it, I decided just to sit with it. And indeed, I, I probably said, do your worst. And I, I think I sat with it for about an hour and a half. And then suddenly it dissolved into this uh, stillness and deep silence. The sort of silence that Romani Maharshi talks about, the silence that's it's packed full of potentiality. Uh, it's, mm. it's, it's got a sense of limitlessness about it. Oh, I and love I thought, how you describe that. It was it was a super powerful uh, moment, and but it was also a, another eureka moment when I thought, you know, I've, I've I've seen Alan was very smart, and he realized that the way to navigate the the intellect when it was restricting the truth of finding out about yourself was to trust your feelings. So mm -hmm. you could be asked a question. So let's say I was asked a question, how was boarding school? And I, the intellect comes out with, well, it was all right. At least I learned how to play football. <laughs> that is a load of rubbish. But, but the body would be going like that. And you could, I could yeah. feel it somewhere. And in that feeling, I'd know, don't trust the intellect, trust the body. Because the body is much more uh, accurate. The feelings we have are so much more accurate than, than the intellect. Mm, yeah. Yeah. But here with this with this my moment with the 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 uh the loneliness leading to the silence. silence I had I'd, I'd gone from okay the the feelings can help me with the intellect but here I had a well feelings can take me somewhere they can take me to a place so my immediate mm -hmm. my immediate question was well where can they take me to That was for me incredibly exciting where I'd never, I'd never thought that a feeling, I mean, of course, a feeling could take you to a, a state of happiness because it is a state of happiness, but this was actually transporting me to somewhere. Well, so right. what, was the, what was the potential of that? Where else could it take me to? And could I, again, could I get it to do that rather than being a, a spontaneous moment that then passed? Could I, could I get it to do that on cue? Hmm. Well, you, you had mentioned before, like you had this feeling of loneliness, not because you were, but it was something you just created and it was so strong. And so, yes, we absolutely are able to do that. Um, you know, and that's why feelings are so powerful and important because they, they have us immediately reflect our, our body. And so our body responds based on the feelings and emotions that we have. One of the best examples, I think, for me was, you know, think about how we respond to a, 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 a to a sexual thought and how yes. fast the body responds to that. Yeah. To me, that's yeah. the best way to describe it because yeah. pretty much everybody knows what that is and what that feels yeah. like. Yeah. But that's just how powerful all of it is. And, and I really wanted to go back and talk about this feeling of stillness because Charlie to me and correct me if I'm wrong or if it was different for you, but that sounds a little like surrender. Like if you, when you just, when everything I mean, just I, is. I, I think, I think the surrender was part of the process that to lead that up to led it. to it. So yeah. Uh, by education and by culture, by philosophy, you know, painful feelings, we tend to, we, first of all, we fear them. We fear that uh, they could overwhelm us. Uh, you know, even as little kids, we go, there, there, it'll, it'll get better. You know, we're not, we're not 
told to be with them in any way. We're told in all sorts of different ways to try and push them to one side. So I think in the moment that I said, no, I'm, I'm with you until the end feeling, uh, there is a, a level of acceptance and surrender. I think the mm -hmm. silence is beyond that. It's, it's by, by its nature, I think one must be wary of putting words to it because it is silence and therefore it is thankfully free from words, which means it's free from the intellect. <laughs> so uh, yeah, it's just, it's just a beautiful moment and one, one, one you know, enjoys it for as long as it lasts. Yeah, I think that um, when for with my experience, it's when you go into that deep meditative state and there is nothingness and and you're just you're in the nothingness. You are nothing. I, I do. I or I've experienced a lot of Dr. Joe Dispenza's work, and I think yes. that's yeah. really yeah. how he likes to describe yes. it. But it sounds yeah. like yeah. definitely the same thing. The the silence, the nothingness. And yeah. in that is where we can create the limitless, the, uh, yeah, all of the potentials that there are. Yeah. So and you had gone to this, to this place and, and then what, what was next for you? So the next for me was to, uh, dive into this potential of the what I call, broadly speaking, the felt sense, which is actually a term taken from Eugene Gendlin. Um, and I really wanted to, I mean, I spent thousands of hours of practice, of also uh, research. Um, I wanted to understand, um, particularly I had this notion of pre-language, how did the human race navigate the world? And I was pretty certain that they navigated it in a big way through their felt sense. Obviously, there's the visual and the, and the hearing are, are very important senses. But in terms of, for example, what plants are safe to eat, what plants heal us, what plants are poisonous, um, mm. I think that's very much um, a felt process because you know when when the population of mankind was much much smaller you didn't want them you didn't want them eating plants by trial and error and then just dying every time they get wrong so they had to feel basically what was healthy and what was beneficial and nutritious and what wasn't oh so yeah really relying on instinct and yeah that makes sense so you definitely went through the uh, historical evolution of us and i think that's great that you were thinking about that yeah, so there was in, uh, there's two, there's Lingertz and uh, Robert Wolf. Robert Wolf's book, Original Wisdom, is a really beautiful book, and I, I recommend it to anyone. And he spent time with the Songhoi tribe, which is in the uh, deep in the Malaysian Peninsula. Uh, they were called the Ancient Ones. Um, and he used to go, the nomadic people, and he used to go and uh, visit them. And uh, amazingly, every time he used to go into the jungle, uh, down these long paths to visit them, there would always be a member of the Songhoi waiting uh, to meet him. And he used to say to them, how do you, How? because they didn't have any sort of modern communication, how do you know I was coming? And they just um, said, I, I felt I had to come here and be at this point of the path. And that's yeah. how they, that's how he would meet the, these members of the you tribe. Know they they have they have a lot of research on how how we have evolved in different culture pockets around the globe and how people were doing similar things like the ideas that popped into these people's heads were the same and i think that that's, that's so fascinating but what it tells us is how connected we really are yeah, yeah. despite I mean, it, the it was, the distance there is this amazing research done on, on monkeys in the islands of Japan, and and these uh, monkey groups are, are not are literally separated by islands. And there was one uh, monkey who taught herself to, um, I don't know, I think it was maybe a crack a nut or something like that, something that the other monkeys had never done. And she showed she like taught a few of her close mates to do this, and then they taught taught a few of theirs, and then. There came a moment when there were about a hundred monkeys who had learned to do this, and mm. then suddenly, all the monkeys in all the islands learned how to do it. They picked yeah. up on it. I mean, that is a miraculous and and unexplained sense of our intelligence. 
and our connectedness and the potential of our connectedness. Right. And, but what's great about it is with, in knowing that like all of the potentials that we haven't tapped into as a species. So I, I just love that we're really starting to let the information known to more people to get excited about exploring that aspect of ourselves and how we are energetic beings. Yeah. Um, you know, when you talk about the evolutionary gap, it makes me think I just interviewed Eric Edmeads and he is, his book is coming out. That's called just that the evolution gap. And that's coming out next year in 2024. And, but you know, it's my point is, is it the knowledge is really, really starting to branch out. And when we have awesome guests such as yourself, Charlie, here on the show who have spent so much of your life exploring how we work and all of the incredible things that we're able to do and the healing that we're able to produce just because we're designed that way. So really yeah. learning yeah. about how- There's never, never been a better time to be an adventurer of, of either spiritual adventure or, or a body adventurer or to find there's so much incredible information out there. Um, so it's a, it's a really wonderful time to do that. It is. And so you really started learning a little bit more about how, okay, what did we do, you know, when we had to rely on things outside of, you know, looking something up on Google or going to the exactly, doctor's office exactly. or, you, you know, yeah, you're right. And, you know, our, our human life was... It, 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 we had to really be very careful of it because there was many more uh, dangers yeah, lurking around, yeah. you know, and so we had to respond differently and rely more on our, our physical selves, what we were designed to do. Exactly. exactly. But our capacity is extraordinary. And as um, Robert Wolf tells us beautiful story, he made friends with this guy called Amid uh, in this tribe. Um, and uh, Robert was off to, uh, to to travel to see the ocean, uh, and he asked his friend, I mean, if he'd like to come with him. And because he realised they, they they didn't even have the word ocean in their vocabulary, they had never seen, they had no concept of what an ocean was. Um, and Amy said, Yeah, of course, I'd, I'd love to come. So off they travelled to uh, to see the ocean. Um, and when they arrived uh, a few days later, Amid stood uh, in the high ground some distance away, uh, and he he just observed the ocean from a distance for three or four hours. And then he went back to the tribe, and he stood in front of the tribe, and he said, and he described the ocean. He felt the ocean, and he described the ocean. He said it's deeper than you would imagine. It's like deeper even than the valleys we have on Earth. It goes on way beyond you can where you can see. It's full of huge animals, and he felt all of this. Mm. I mean, that is an absolute stunning reach to our felt wisdom and what can be discerned if we are truly tuned in. So when when you describe this and the feelings, how do you, you've written a, a number of books on feelings and how do you, how do you guide somebody to really understanding that more? How do you invite someone to do just that? So the, the process actually is, is pretty simple. Um, the first thing we have to recognize is that um, our thoughts are very fast and quick and clean and easy to, to hear, but our feelings are much more, um, I don't know, elusive sometimes. So we have to give them the right conditions in which to express themselves. Um, they're a little quieter than our thoughts. Uh, they're much less busy. So the first thing that we need to do is to, to be in a, I find a, a, sort of a quieter moment. Um, you can either lie down or sit somewhere uh, and connect with the body. And a very simple way to do that is just to feel your weight. For example, sitting in a chair, I can feel my weight on the chair beneath me, um, on the back behind me. 
focus on my breathing, notice my body moving uh, as I breathe. That just mechanically brings me into my body. And then the next step is simply to ask a question. So I might say, what do I want from today? Or what's blocking me today? Or what do I feel about this particular situation? And what we find when we ask a question is the intellect wants to shoot right in with an answer. So we have to, we're not interested in what the intellect thinks. We're interested in what we feel. So we need to just be patient and allow a feeling to arise. And usually a feeling will arise in the chest area, in the stomach area, but it could actually be anywhere in the neck, the back, the shoulders, and just observe that feeling. Now, some people are more naturally sensitive than others, but in my experience, everybody can uh, elicit this feeling. Um, sometimes it's helpful if we are not habitually used to feeling our feelings, and most of us ignore a lot of what is felt, it's just to reassure ourselves to say, hey, look, I, I, I accept that I haven't uh, given you uh, as much airtime as you deserve, but I'm here to listen, so please express yourself. So we, we ask a question and then we get a feeling. Um, and then there's a really neat trick and it's one discovered by Eugene Gendon, who I, I mentioned before. And this is called putting a handle on it. So basically, it's getting a grip of the feeling, making it more stable. And the way you do this, very simply, is just to notice the feeling and describe it to yourself. So does it have a texture? Does it have a shape? What is the shape? Describe the shape. Is it oval? Is it long and thin? Does it point out to one side? Does it have a color? When we do that, when we just that act of describing it, stabilize it, it gives us a handle on it so that we can work with it. Now we can say, okay, well, what is this feeling? What is What words can I put to this feeling that describes it? So I might come up with it. Let's say, I, so let's say someone said something to me and, I've, and it's upset me and I go and I get that feeling it's upset me. I go, okay, I've described it. It's stable. Now, what is this feeling? Okay, it's rejection. What sort of rejection is it? It's rejection because I've done something wrong. Now, I'll possibly get a feeling that that's, that's right, but maybe not quite right. Now, there's a beautiful uh, part of our, our body intelligence here, which is when we acknowledge correctly our feeling, the feeling will move. If I go, oh, okay, it's rejection. Oh, it's rejection because I'm not good enough. Bang, the feeling will move. And that tells us we've got it right. Oh, I now, love that. It's almost like it, it, I see you and you point it out and it's like, oh, I've been found. Yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, I've been, you know what it is? It's I've been witnessed. I've been witnessed. That's what we want. Ooh. We all want connection fundamentally at every level. And our emotions want to be witnessed. So as soon as it witnessed, it goes, oh, great. And it moves. So now you know you're on the trail. Now, what is a feeling? A feeling is not, uh, a, for example, a thought is just one thing. It's whatever comes out at that moment. Mm. But a feeling is a three-dimensional package of data. And it has history. So how do we explain this? So, for example, going to my example where someone has said someone something to me and I have taken offense at it. I've, I felt a reaction to it. Mm. The tendency is to think, oh, it's all about what that person has said to me. But what it's not. That's just part of the story. That What that person has said to me is the trigger of the feeling. But what's actually happening is that my subconscious is going back through time, usually way, way back, right yeah. to when I was very young, to my formative years, and said, of all the things that happened to me, what does this most represent? And what was the best reaction at the time? And then it comes up with that reaction in super quick time. Why does it come up with it in super quick time? Because we are, number one priority is survival. And of course, this is our most uh, primitive uh, intelligence. And in the days when a bear or a wolf would come out of the woods, 
we needed to make decisions quickly. So that's yeah. what our, our uh, feelings do. They give us- We had to remember what was danger and what wasn't in order exactly. to respond. We need to take things quickly for our survival. So it's very effective in that way. But that yeah. doesn't mean to say that's all we have to do. That's just, it's just giving us that option. You know, so, I think it's so funny if, if I could just stop you for a moment, yeah. Charlie, but you know, it, it just fascinates me because yes, it's all stemmed from early memories, right? Absolutely. And as a child, we are so incapable of really making rash decisions. You know, we we just don't know otherwise. And so we we blow things out of proportion as far as our feelings go because we are not able to process the emotions. And I'm like, well, why on earth were we designed this way where we carry this stuff with us forever and then we have to go back into that? It's just fascinating. Okay, I, think, I think actually there is a reasonably simple answer for that. And, and the answer is that in order to um, survive, we have to learn from our parents, from our carers, our caregivers. Uh, and we're actually up to seven or eight years old we our, our brain waves are pretty much like a hip, hypnotic state so that when our parents give us instructions or teach us we just suck it in and it goes in at the hardwire level mm. and that ensures because we are totally dependent on them that we learn what they've learned and let's face it they've survived so if it yeah. worked for them chances are it'll work for us the problem is that we live in a much more complex world and and we know that our parents, bless them, they were doing mostly the best they could for us. They also have got their issues. And so there are all sorts of contradictions that they might say one moment, you're you know a beautiful little boy and then you're very, very naughty. And that's taken in at a hardwired level. And that's a confusion. How do we make sense of that confusion? The one thing we can't do is say, our parents have got it wrong because our survival is dependent on them. Yeah. So if they've got it wrong, we have no chance. So <laughs> we have to, we take responsibility. Oh, Charlie, I love, love the way that you describe things so eloquently and it makes so much sense. Thank you so much for sharing that because, you know, it's like that's the computer system of us, the design of us, right? Where, you know, there's the code and the programming that has to take place and it can't be rejected. And so that's what you're describing as a child. We have to be, you know, programmed so we're able to survive and continue on the species and keep, you know, living and going. Exactly. And that makes perfect sense. So I love the way that you describe things so colorfully. So I think that the the kind of the final point if you like and it, it ties into just what we were talking about is if we are reacting today based on what happened when we were seven or six or five how authentic is that and and the answer is it is not at all so when the sages said know yourself this is really part of what they were pointed to which is understand where you're coming from and your feelings are essential to that process, then you can see where you're mechanical and then you can choose, a, let's say, a higher, a higher option. Um, and, I, and I loved your guest the other day, Cynthia Linox, and you know, formidable lady, uh, power to the over 60s. And you know, she was talking about this, this process of, of knowing yourself. And it yeah. struck me that it's, it's important to understand at what level you're knowing yourself because you can know yourself at the level of the intellect and that is, that is a degree of authenticity. But if you know yourself at the level of your deep subconscious, at the level of your silence, at the level of your true nature and your feelings are the doorway to that, then for me, that is a greater authenticity. That is a more powerful authenticity. And part of the reason why uh, the sages said, get to know yourself is because within yourself is this silence, is this true nature. Mm. And the only way we can access that is through our feelings. Why? Because our thoughts can't handle it. Our thoughts can't love. 
our thoughts make love a con concept. Our thoughts can't handle endlessness, boundlessness, limitlessness. They have to turn it into a concept. But we yeah. can feel it. We can experience it. So the, the language of our subconscious and the language of our true nature is feeling because that's the only way they can be fully expressed. Ah, thank you so much, Charlie. You, you're, you're right. And so I, I'm going to push us through with our next commercial. And when we get back, I am really looking forward to learning a little bit more. You've got so much information to give and thank you so much. Well, stay tuned. learn more about Bella Grace in the description below. Now, back to Charlie, who is just this beautiful knowledge guy. I would let's I will call you a sage. Come and <laughs> yeah, I, because you have to, on the back of masters. It's nothing to do with me. I no, just but it, it is. That's how sages become sages. And so Absolutely. I think you've earned that title with all of this experience that you've had, the way that you are so beautifully able to express and uh, tell how, why, what expression to what all of this means and how to do it. And you are walking us through really how to go through and process feelings and emotions. And I hope that I didn't cut you off too soon. Were you finished? Explain no, so let's let's that. just revisit that. So um, just to start at the top, we were we were embodying ourselves. We were connecting to our body by feeling perhaps the weight of the body on the chair, noticing how the the body moves with the in and out breath. Then we were asking a question, and let's say, what's blocking me right now? Let's say that's the question, and how does it feel? We've been wary that the intellect will almost certainly want to jump in, so we just push that aside and we wait for the feeling to arise in the body. Often that's in the chest, in the stomach, but it could be anywhere in the body. Then we stabilize the feeling by describing it. So is it round, circular? Does it have a texture? Is it, is it, uh, has it got a color? That process of, uh, of describing it will, um, stabilize it and as i say it, it gives effectively it gives a handle it gives us a handle on that feeling then we want to name it so what is that feeling is that a feeling of anxiety okay yeah that's anxiety what sort of anxiety oh anxiety that i'm going to be left out no that's not quite right oh anxiety i'm going to miss out oh yeah that's it and then the movement the, sh the, the shift of the feeling will tell us when we've absolutely nailed it and now we can actually engage with each feeling. Each feeling is a package of data, a three-dimensional package of data, which we can engage with. So we can ask, what's supporting this? Where does this come from? What's the root cause of this? What's the worst thing about this? And we will get another feeling and we can go through the same process, describe it, name it, wait for the shift. And we can carry on this logic until we come to a point where we get to the essence of it. Let's say the essence of this is, I'm not good enough because I'm not smart enough. Let's say that's what the, the feeling tells us. And then we can say, well, when was the first time I ever felt this feeling? And the next feeling will come up and it will have, a, you can feel the age. You go, oh yeah, it was when I was eight. And almost certainly a memory will come up. Ah, oh, I came home from school and I failed the test and dad told me I was not good enough. And, I, and I, I, I took it all in. And because of what we've spoken to about before, when we're young and we're taking this stuff hardwired in, and because of what we were also mentioning before about we need to be witnessed, until that moment has been with that a moment that repressed energy has been witnessed because it certainly wasn't witnessed then 
it will stay with us forever. But if we witness it, we can start to shift it. And now there's a really uh, beautiful part of the process. So whatever we have been through in life, and, and nobody goes untouched, but I have worked with some people who have been through some absolutely horrendous, horrendous things. Whatever we've been through in life, there is always a part of us, which to my mind is our true nature, which is untouched, which is pure. Mm. It's above it, if you like. It's completely above all our story, all our interpretation. And we can connect to this. And there's something uh, very magical that happens. It's like the deeper we go in our psyche, the thinner the veil between us and our true nature. So it's very easy at that point when we're at the power of this memory, for example, this moment when we were told we weren't good enough, to reach into this part of us that is untouched. And it will express itself. It literally will be, we can search, scan the body, and it will appear physically a three-dimensional place. And we can then connect with that, usually put a name on it. It might be forgiveness, it might be redemption, it might be love. And then invite it to connect with that repressed part of us. And when we do that, we feel this incredible energy flowing through our body and literally unwinding all this repressed energy. And it clears the memory. Obviously, the memory itself that we were told something or that something happened or didn't happen, that still remains. But the repressed energy attached to us is transformed. It's It drops. What does that mean? That means that when someone says something to us in the present day, we no longer relate back to that old memory, which mm. doesn't and now, instead of that, we can react authentically. We can react spontaneously. So it's it's magical in two ways. One, because it allows us to be spontaneous and authentic. Yeah. But in another way, we see, we experience our true nature. We get that moment when we feel this boundlessness, this part of us that has always held us, that has always been with us, that has never judged us that has always loved us and mm. is there constantly if only we can learn how to reconnect. So going right back to what I was talking to before about the, 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 the moments that I had that were spontaneous but passing, here then I had found at the end of my journey a way where I could on tap connect to true nature. Charlie, I love that. I didn't even have to bring you back to that because I was going to. And you really did wrap that around beautifully where we come to a close in, yes, that is how we do come to our true nature and we are able to respond authentically by really learning more, diving in more on a consistent basis, the feelings that have been tied to us throughout our life. April, it's been a, a great, great pleasure. Thank you so much. I've, I've loved chatting with you. I think I'm, I'm empty. <laughs> I, I have no more to say. Well, it, you don't need to. It was just fascinating. Thank you so much, Charlie, for sharing all of your wisdom. Yeah, I want to really make sure time. that everyone knows how to find you and your you your three publications you have out. So is are those on the website that we have yep, displayed? They're on the website. They're one on Amazon. Uh, they're, they're, they're there for anyone who'd, who'd love to uh, dive into this uh, incredible uh, world that we have within us all. Yes. So I invite those of you who are listening to visit www.embodiedintelligence.world. Again, that is embodiedintelligence.world. You will also find that information about Charlie to learn more. 
in the description below. So thank you so much for those of you tuning in who have supported. And if you have any questions, please leave them in the comments section. We will get back to you. And Charlie, again, it has been such an honor and a pleasure to have you on the Wellness Driven Life Show, Sage. And by the way, my firstborn is named Sage. So I do love that. And um, again, thank you so much for being here on the show and goodbye everyone for now.